world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce, and this is Chris Parsons. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Delivering E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. Um, it's been a fantastic uh, run in 2022. I now have the pleasure of hosting a special guest today, Paula Bianchi. Paula, thank you for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. It's been a long day for both of us. We've already chatted a little bit, and uh, I'm looking forward to our audience hearing your journey, your story. And uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your evening to be here with us. Well, no, thank you for the invitation. Honestly, I appreciate every opportunity we have to um, both share and also educate ourselves because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and I honestly enjoy hearing about other people's journeys as well. So hopefully it can help anyone at least share the misery together. <laughs> that's right, 100%. And that's a great segue into what I get to do with all of my guests. And that's talk about their own personal journey because everyone um, really, I try to make sure they understand that there is no A to B on this. This is a really fun journey in retail and uh, it, it takes you sometimes in paths you didn't think. And then, you know, I never, ever thought that I would be uh, leading e-commerce in, in my whole life. And actually, when I was a kid, I didn't even know what e-commerce was. So um, <laughs> I don't think it existed when we were kids. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it wasn't until my 20s until we started to gain an appreciation for, yeah. for e-commerce. So uh, anyways, let's so without any further ado, let's get into your journey. Sure. Actually, um, I can echo much of what you just said. So um, a little bit of my background. I'm from Argentina. Uh, I immigrated into Canada in 2008, um, and uh, I've always worked in marketing. But the funny part is that um, when I started, because in Argentina, we um, we work while we go to university. It's not like um, most people's journeys here where they focus on their studies and then they start internships and then they start working. For us, it's always part-time or I would say 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I would say a little bit unique, but also very rewarding. Yes, it's a little bit more challenging, but it's also rewarding because you get to apply right then and there what you're learning in school. And, and this is um, undergrad, right? Um, so when I started, I thought I wanted to go into finance and mm, <laughs> no. And uh, and then I started, um, I was working for Biowiser at the time and uh I discovered the wonderful world of marketing and I fell in love with it. I actually fell in love with, um, I would say, giving consumers an experience. And I know it sounds like big words now and kind of like buzzy words, but it's truly what it is, is that um, whatever product uh, I worked with in, you know, in all of my, my journey so far, my biggest passion was to make sure that I'm not just bringing a product to someone, but rather um, either a solution, an experience or something else. And I think that has a lot to do with this passion for retail that, you know, much like yourself, discovered a little bit as we went along. Um, so I started, like I said, in, in, in the consumer market for with beers. Um, it's a conglomerate in, in Argentina that takes care of multiple brands of, of beers. Um, then I decided to, I was very young 
Um, and I decided to explore a little bit what the world of marketing had and went into an ad agency, which I hated. Uh, <laughs> it's just not for me, you know, like I feel like and, and it's a good thing to have tried different things um, because then you get to figure out what you like, what you don't yeah. like and all of that. Right. So that was not for me. Um, it's funny as a marketer, I felt the same way um, coming out of uh, college. <clears throat> the recommendation was to apply for marketing in ad agencies. And lucky enough for me, my first real career was within Walmart and doing marketing for them, which, so I didn't have the experience of the agency, but I, I definitely worked with a lot of agencies and I don't admire the work that they have to do. It's much better being on the retailer side, doing marketing than an ad agency side. Exactly. Like to me, what happened <laughs> was that um, you're either very creative and you, you love to, live in that theoretical space or you're hands-on and you mm -hmm. want to bring products to market. Yeah. So I'm more like that. And that's why the advertising um, world didn't appeal to me because it was all very theoretical. Like there was no engagement with the outcome of a campaign, for example, or, you know, like you have agencies that walk along with you and all of that, but it's still not their product. Right. So, so that's the part that didn't um, appeal um, to me. So, so then he said, okay, so I know the consumer aspect of it. What about the B2B side of it? Um, because I had worked for a manufacturer, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so I wanted to explore that other side and I decided to take this uh, great opportunity with um, a plastics company. Uh, and what they do is like colors and additives for plastics and all of that. And then he said, oh, my God, what have I done? Because it was so far from everything else. And yet I discovered myself within that because I ended up working with um, giants like Unilever, Procter & Gamble or Shell developing with their marketing pro uh, teams, developing products and colors and those concepts to bring them to market. So Again, still very far from all the online pieces and, and everything. So at that point, um, my husband and I decided to immigrate to Canada. Um, and so nice little segue into Canada, still within the same industry. And then I got recruited into um, the automotive industry. And that's when I started really um, touching more on the online piece and on the um, on the product side, I would say, more than anything. And of course, as years go by, the online piece is more and more and more and more uh, interesting. So then uh, that brought me to Napa. And um, and with Napa, I'm in charge um, of the all of the e-com, both B2B and B2C. So in the beginning, it was only B2C. Um, and as, again, as things progress and, you know, my, my passion to bring really solutions and, and to connect with audiences, um, brought us to, um, a, a, I would say like a, de a decision point in which, cause our B2B was always very sheltered. Um, and because it, it's typically considered a captive audience, right? So you have an e-com platform for B2B but only people that are sort of members can access that platform. So it's kind of like a captive audience. 
Um, but then I saw that there was just so much opportunity um, in that aspect as well, because it was being treated as sort of like an afterthought, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of like keeping with the motions. And so we decided to bring all the dynamics of, you know, B2B, uh, B2C, sorry, um, e-com into the B2B side. And right now what we're working on is um, like a complete revamp of the B2B side um, to feel and and to behave more like a regular consumer um, e-com platform. And the reason for that is um, we're all consumers in our, in our everyday life, whether you're a B2B customer, B2C or whatever, everybody's consuming on Amazon. Everybody's ordering online. Um, Everybody has an experience and an opinion, right? And so um, our journey, what we wanted to do is is really um, approach those two concepts and give those experiences to all of our customers. So while we're working continuously on improving the experiences um, with the B2C customers with NapaCanada.com. Um, at the same time, we're also always thinking, okay, how can we improve the experience and how can we make it better for B2B customers as well? And it's a fun journey of discovering what works on one side versus the other side, um, what customers are reacting to versus what is perhaps great on a boardroom um, meeting, but not really great for the customer because you tend to want to do everything at the same time. And then, um, you know, sometimes the added value for the customer is not really there. Um, And so I like the fact that we're able to have very agile teams and, you know, just market test everything. You know, I, I always say it's online. Anything is possible and anything can be, pulled from the shelf in a way if it's not working. So um, so I think the fact that we're much more in tune with our audiences works really well for for everybody. So yeah, I um, love I love the fact that you're saying because I, I really work on the premise that it's business to customer and whether it's B2B or B2C, it's still yeah. just business to customer and they're just a different persona that you're trying to service, whether in our case, it's a DIYer, a fixer, a pro, a business to business. It's a persona that you're trying to sell mm-hmm. to on your digital landscape. So if you build out all of those different shopping journeys, you can still service them from the same platform, the same and leverage a lot of the same tactics that you're doing for a general consumer versus a business consumer. But if, if you lay out those personas as part of your planning and identify that up front, it saves you from having multiple platforms, multiple uh, people working on projects because you just consider it as part of the shopping funnel and a, and the mm-hmm. customers, those those types of customers just go through a different shopping funnel than a general consumer. No, exactly. And to me, it's all about the messaging as well. I think mm-hmm. the only thing that we need to customize really to make sure that we're being relevant to our audience is is the ultimate messaging. But like you said, it's the funnel, so the origin is the same, and then you can bring them into different journeys um, along the way. And it's how you communicate, what kind of messaging do you use for one or the other um, so that you keep that customer engagement 
Um, because if you're talking, for example, um, you know, if, if I'm talking to one of my um, garages, right, mm -hmm. uh, which is my B2B um, type of customer, and I'm using consumer messaging for the do-it-yourselfer, oftentimes, well, not only does it not appeal to them, but they're in a way resentful of um, the lack of professional messaging to them. Now, I don't want to say resentful, but um, they're probably just not as engaged with um, that kind of, they don't engage as well with that kind of messaging. Right. Um, they have different expectations. They want different, they, they talk the talk, they live the language. So they want to have stuff structured in a, in a different vocabulary because they maybe understand acronyms that are really key to the industry versus a general consumer that maybe needs to have it written out because they're just buying a piece to fix their car versus a mechanic who's going to be, you know, really looking at the whole, the whole experience with that vehicle and not just looking at one item. They're going to be like, if, if they have to take off that tire to fix something, you can bet they're looking at every other element that they can get their eyes on to, to really make sure that that driver is safe and mm -hmm. talk about a complete purchase versus just an item at a price. So I can see that. I can see that it's not resentful, but they do want to be um, absorbing their content differently. I would say being, so one of the biggest challenges, well, not challenges, one of the biggest advantages actually is um, our added value um, in our value proposition to um, our customers is Napa know-how. Mm -hmm. So if you're not showing in your messaging that you know and understand what they need and how they speak, like you said, and and uh, those acronym, acronyms and, and um, whatever, um, information you might want to convey to um, a B2B customer versus a B2C, well, then where's the Napa know-how? Right. You know what I mean? Um, so, well, and, and then if you do that, if you if you speak in the same terms to a do-it-yourselfer, you're probably just overwhelming them and um, they, they just disengage, right? Um, yeah, like a do-it-yourselfer is going to need like, the 15 steps to complete a project. Whereas the, the folks that are already living and breathing it every day, they don't need those. They just need to know the, the performance of the item that they're buying, the quality mm -hmm. of it, their the return process if they need to, but they, they're not going to need, you know, a step-by-step -step instruction manual on how to change the brakes. Exactly. And, and not only that, but like you said, um, a B2B customer, like a garage might be looking for other, um, other different pieces of the vehicle that might need some assistance or might need some repairs to make them safe. Um, whereas the do-it-yourself, they're trying to fix something that they found it was broken. So there's a difference between, um, you know, a professional doing it versus a do-it-yourself, but there's also in the intent, mm -hmm. right? So a do-it-yourself wants to fix whatever is is broken or whatever needs attention whereas a professional will look for other things that um, need to um, be done so that the the vehicles are safe and so the, the common thread between the two journeys is the the level of content you really require yes. a content strategy for both of them 
to to make sure that they they are engaged differently, but actually get to the the components that they need, whether it be video content, step by step blogs, buying guides, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the content strategy is key to having both of them engaged and sticky to the website. No, absolutely. And 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 like you said, you know, the content is different for one versus the other, but. Um, I think the very important part is we're, we're trying to integrate content as much as we can um, in our promotional vehicles, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's all part of the context. And I don't want to just sell a product to a customer. I want to um, make sure that I'm being relevant to them in their everyday life. And so, for example, let's think about, I don't know, a flyer. So we have our paper flyers like everybody does and our online flyers. So we're always embedding um, blog posts and uh, QR codes to bring them to additional articles um, that might help them. So, for example, if we have the section on the flyer, which is for oil change, we also want to give you that content, whether it's on print or it's on on digital platforms, um, a, a simple QR code to bring you to the blog post where you talk about all those steps. How do you um, change your oil? You know, you have never done it. Well, here's the how to and also all the products that you need to make that happen. So um, so we're trying to do that more and more. I think it's very important to to marry all the content that we're developing online, because, as you know, that's that's really the key in the game these days is to develop the right kind of content and the right um, cadence as well. Right. Right. And I think, you know, by having a B2B relationship as well, it also allows you to have this mechanism because they're on the front line with customers. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're leveraging those garages, then they can give you really good feedback about the content you're providing for their customer online. Cause I'm sure they don't want to sit there and explain every single product to a consumer. They would rather redirect them to your website to say, okay, you can go get some information and be, and do some of that research yourself before you even talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, it's great that you have a mechanism such as those B2B to help build a content strategy or find out features, um, different tools and components that a general consumer will want because you're getting that real feedback one-to-one from from the businesses no absolutely and one of the things that we want to incorporate more and more is um leveraging that the strength of you know that network Mm -hmm. um think about product reviews for example you can have product reviews uh you can have users review products that they have tried themselves you could have the companies offering different reviews you could also have professionals giving their opinion and and that's a different you know, I think at least I don't know how how you look at it, and and I would be curious to uh, to hear about that. Um, when I look at reviews in my personal life, I yes, for sure, I fall like everybody on the star system, and I start looking at it. And if it's really bad, I will be like, hmm, okay. But then I take the time if it's a product that I really want or that I've I've done my research and it's something that I really think that it could be good for me. I go into the reviews and I read them because the reviews might not, so the stars might not be pertinent. The the grievances of some customers might not be pertinent to my needs. And so, excuse me. And so um, 
when I read those reviews, think about it like this. You're going to have a product that's going to have whatever stars, you know, and then you could have consumers do yourself first that have tried and used it. But then you could also have a pro giving their opinion in terms of the performance of that. Because, uh, 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 you know, I, I think there's something yeah. there that um, needs to be um explore further and we're we're looking to explore it Um, yeah i agree i've lost confidence in ratings and reviews um because i don't think they're badged correctly and i don't i don't have confidence like sometimes someone will rate that the product is two but they didn't like the service from a customer uh from a a sales associate well the product is not really a two (laughs) the the brand or the store experience is is a two that's what they meant to rate and evaluate but they went and they put that towards a product um, so it's a it's a big disconnect. And if you don't go and you read the language that um, someone's put in there, then then you're misguided on on why those reviews are so low. The other piece with it is I just think that there's a difference, like you said, the the pro versus a general consumer and how they use the product. So some of the features and benefits of that product that might be important to someone that's using it on a daily, weekly basis, like I've seen where a power bank, for example, the power um, bank only charges five times and someone wanted it to charge 20 times. Well, I don't need my phone charged that often. I just use a power bank as backup in my backpack so I can get that extra charge if I'm traveling. So if it charges one time or five times, I'm happy with it versus someone that needs it to charge 20 times. So I think ratings reviews have to, you have to go a little bit deeper. I would like to see them badged more. So Mm -hmm. it's more of more of a th- uh, authenticated review and I can decide, do I want to filter by, I don't know, an influencer that's rated, rated it or um, competition or a brand or a general consumer that's rated it. And then give me these, these filters to go through them more effectively. But right now I, I honestly, if I want a product, it's, I'm not leveraging ratings reviews. They might be a barometer for me, but um, I rather make that judgment. Most times there's a good return policy on products now anyways. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather judge it myself. Yeah. And, and that's why I read those, uh, those reviews in the sense that, you know, the stars are good, but I want to make sure that whatever's being reported is actually pertinent. Right. right? Um, and, and I, I think, do think well, it's up to the retailer, though. Like, we have to do a better job. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Absolutely. I think, well, we're providing the content, right? So yep. um, in terms of content, do we want it to be misleading like that? Or do we want the, our, our, our users and our customers to be able to rely on those? Uh, so what do you think about, uh, for example, um, you know, there's some brands that started putting some keywords to their reviews. And so the, the point system, let's say, is based on what the retailer once or, or the manufacturer wants their product to be reviewed on um, could be durability, could be um, fit or um, whatever, whatever it may be. Do you think that could maybe help with uh, some of the challenges? Yeah, I think there's key features and benefits to any item. And you want to make sure that those hot buttons that a customer is considering are are easy to index and mm-hmm. and are are transparent to a customer that if <clears throat> you know I'm big into ice fishing and I just purchased myself a new shelter for for ice fishing and the important piece to me was is it uh is it insulated or not so I don't not freezing out on the ice. So, you know, when you first start doing um 
a query online, you look at shelters, but then it gives you a laundry list of 40 of them. And then, then I have to start making filters of like, okay, I need it for two people, four people, six people. Mm-hmm. And then like, but having those key features in ratings and reviews about how good it is from um, being insulated or not would have been something that I would desire to see as a customer, because that was my forget two, four, six people. If it wasn't insulated, that was my starting point because I, I, I would, I don't, I'm a big baby when it comes to being outside. I need to be comfortable. Uh, <laughs> well, you're ice fishing. What do you right. want? Exactly. I want to, I want to be glamping out on the ice. Exactly. Okay. So you're, you're a glamping type of ice fisher. That's right. That's right. I'm not the traditional old school guys that sit there in a chair with the wind and their beard frozen. No, that is not me. Yeah, I was picturing you with a plaid shirt and right. your... <laughs> No. No, I've no. got I've got my tablet playing movies. I've got a fishing <laughs> rod in a couple of holes. And um sometimes even when I go out with my son, he's got a sleeping bag and a cot laying down. So it's oh my uh, God. It is definitely glamping. But really though, when it comes to that that question though, I, yeah. I do believe the more filters on ratings and reviews to allow me to get to that information that's relevant to me, the more we can do stuff like that, the better, as long as it's authentic. And that's that also coming back to that. It has to be authentic. It can't just be a buzzword. It can't just be something that's, that's clickbait. It has to be authentic. Cause the minute that you do that to me once mm-hmm. I am now never trusting your website. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's such a fine line. You know, you, we need to, we owe it to our customers to remain authentic um, in anything we do. We do. And, and, you know, this actually um, reminds me of, we just had this conversation this week with the team. We're preparing um, some of the materials for, you know, the different events that we have in the year, like Mother's Day, Father's Day, and and all that. And, you know, everybody starts thinking about, okay, so what kind of messaging do we want to put out there? Um, how do we make it relevant for everybody and, and all that? And he said, well, the very first thing is that it needs to be authentic to us and to our audiences, to our customers. I don't want um, just to put products. I'll give you an example. And this is the biggest joke um, within, within, I would say even the automotive industry, because, you know, it's very male um, centric. Yep. Yes. Um, And so when Mother's Day comes along, it's like, oh my God, oh my God, what do we put for Mother's Day? And kind of like the first instinct of many people is to put pink stuff. A pink steering wheel cover. And I'm like, police, police, as a woman, I beg you, do not pink wash because I find that offensive. Right. Um, And and so we said, okay, so how can we remain authentic with the products that we have, with the audience that we have? And so we're developing um, all of our, our, our different campaigns and, and what kind of content we're going to develop, yeah. um, you know, for, um, for the different events that make sense and that you can actually touch the core of, you know, the automotive industry, but also related to those different events. So we're planning something for International Women's Day, for Mother's Day, for Father's Day, but not your usual cookie cutter um, type of content, you know, because I think we owe it to our audiences to um, remain who we are and to represent the, we talked about personas, the persona of our brand. 
Yeah. Right? I, I love that. I mean, just because there's an event on calendar, if it's not relevant to your category or your department, skip then, it. then skip it hundred yeah. percent. You're better off doing that than to like, even in traditional retail, I don't know how many times you see, and it's still funny today. And maybe some, some moms are okay with it, but it's the amount of appliances or vacuums that are marketed <laughs> towards moms still today. Um, and like I said, some of them may appreciate it, but can we not be more creative than that with what we're suggesting as gifts for, for mom? Like, and can we please have fun with it? Cause, right. cause I'm a mom and, and we all like to have fun. Like, does it have to be solemn and does it have to be like diamonds and flowers and, you know, like there's more things to life than than that. And and like you said, we have so many types of types of different moms that just like, you know, dads or or yeah. and and to your point, like, do we really need an Easter basket in the automotive industry? I don't think so. Right, <laughs> so right. We're just gonna skip, you know, that Easter situation um and And you can as a as a retailer you can send out a thoughtful message to say happy easter and enjoy the season but it doesn't have to be a promotional event exactly you can acknowledge it but you don't have to like i feel like if you're trying to just push every single event in the calendar to connect with your audience well that's not authentic because it depends on who your cost your your customers and, and your audiences are right like um, I don't know if you're um, a dollar store. Well, that's pertinent because that's where you go and buy all those things for right. uh, for the different you know little events. But in our case, I think I would rather remain authentic, and I think uh, you do too. And and mm-hmm. and and that's so core, you know. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed. So hey, we're already thirty minutes into this. Oh my god! I know, right? So. Let's um let's quickly shift gears a little bit here. And um, first of all, how can people get a hold of you? Um, well, they can send me an email, honestly. Um, but I would rather if um they contact me through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can just search for my LinkedIn, and um, I'm pretty open to receiving messages, um, requests, and and all of that. I had um a professor once when I was doing the MBA, um, and said you know what, guys, take advantage of networks in in LinkedIn. Nobody is going to tell you, I don't have time to answer your question or I don't have time. You know, oftentimes people want to share experiences and want to help other people. So I'm here if anybody needs me. (laughs) Yeah, that that was a critical learning for me early on is, is how many great people there are in our industry. It's like, there's this competitiveness between businesses mm-hmm. and your competition, but at the same time, from a peer to peer level, there's this great appetite to support each other, help each other, make sure we don't fail. Um, and we just overall grow the industry. And, and I really appreciate that about my network and especially connecting with people like yourself on LinkedIn and being able to expand that network and, and just be collaborative with one another and share best practices. Cause uh, if we can grow the overall industry of e-commerce and get more people ad- adapting to it, then all of our success goes up. Absolutely. Um, and then my, I guess my last couple of questions as we start to wrap up this podcast is 2022 coming off of the last two crazy years of COVID. Um, what are some of the opportunities, uh, challenges, and then maybe some of the upside that you see going into 2022? 
Um, so I think we can all agree that logistics and supply chain has been severely disrupted uh, through the last couple of years. And that I expect will continue in 2022, regardless of how strong your network is, regardless of, you know, all the contacts in the world that you might have. It's a challenge. And I think everybody is going to face that. I think um, one of the opportunities, though, is how do you... <clears throat> How do you make sure that you're staying uh, on top of it? How do you make sure that you're also um, pivoting and and maybe finding some of the products that you had that were maybe less turning at a you know slower pace and see is there home for them and is is this something that could fulfill a need um, you know in lieu of something else? So I think we owe it to ourselves to remain flexible on our feet. Um, and uh, and to find you know those opportunities. Um, yeah, I love that the um, the concept of sell what's available today was taught to me by Future Shop twenty something years ago, and um, it's so funny when you get into retail, all you do is consider how do I comp last year's sales, mm-hmm. and you get into this routine of saying, okay, we sold this widget, so now we have to sell ten percent more of that widget because we advertise it at this time, versus hey, we need to hit this sales target what category can drive the sales into this target it doesn't have to be the same widget that we sold last year the same category that we sold last year it's what within our assortment can we sell to drive those numbers and i think we lose sight of that because we're so busy trying to comp last year's numbers Mm -hmm. and make sure that the same categories are still growing but it's not necessarily true especially in this environment you may not be able to comp the same category as last year because you just don't have the inventory so where where can you find growth? And and what about what well, the customer needs? I mean, yeah. there's a maturity also with some categories and some products. Maybe you've reached your limit and and you cannot comp last year because you've you've reached maturity, right? Yeah. Um, and there's also customer fatigue. Um, so I think all of those things need to be taken into consideration and seeing. Okay, so like you said, we've had um, a very unique last two years. Well, the needs of our customers probably change. So what do we need to do to make sure that we're being a good partner to our customers? Um, So I think that's that's the biggest opportunity. Um, Yes, it's a challenge. But at the same time, I think it's a good opportunity for you to rethink the way that, um, you know, we're bringing products to market and and all of that. Yeah, I, I love that. I think customers have matured. We've learned to pivot so fast that we really need to reevaluate what our customers' expectations are going forward. Um, Could be faster delivery. Hell, they could actually be more patient with us than ever because of dealing with with stuff. And maybe maybe urgency is no longer as important that they can wait five or six days versus next day delivery. But I think re-engaging with our consumers to find out what their true expectations are um, mm-hmm. It should be done all the time, but spe- especially now coming through the last couple of years. Hey, thank you so much for for this conversation. Um, I look forward to continuing our dialogue offline and uh, and building a relationship. And I know I got to get out to Montreal and visit some stores with you because that would be yes. really appreciated. Absolutely. Um, so thank you once again. You've been a fantastic guest. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And I love discussing with you and uh, and I love everything that you guys are doing. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you. We'll do it again. Okay. Awesome. You've been listening to Delivering E-Commerce. 
It's our passion to have on leaders and suppliers in e-commerce from around the globe, setting you and your strategy up for the next level. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. Connect with Chris on LinkedIn at Chris Parsons, on LinkedIn and Spotify at Delivering E-Commerce, or on YouTube at Chris Parsons Delivering E-Commerce. Till next time, this is Delivering E-Commerce.